tell, the blacksmith's son was tired of worrying. He was tired of wondering whether there would be work for his father, whether there would be enough money to pay the land tax, whether his family would lose the forge. He was tired of being angry. Tell's father said it was time to go. Tell got his shoes and his hammer and followed father out the door and across the second terrace. The streets were dirty. In these times, there wasn't even enough money to pay for gate passes to have threes come up to the second terrace and muck up the refuse of horses and people from the cobbled stone streets. It made Tell feel a little better, in a mean way, to see that all the craftsmen and merchants of the second terrace were struggling, not just his father. Father did not say where they were going, and Tell did not ask. They came to a house that seemed vaguely familiar to Tell, and Father told Tell to wait outside. It was a large house with brick steps leading up to the front door. Tell's father hesitated, then straightened his back and knocked. He went inside and was gone for a long time. In the meantime, Tell realized why the house was familiar. He had come here when he was younger, when things had been better and father could have left Tell alone at the forge without fear of his being hurt by brigands. This was the house of father's good friend, a merchant or trader whose name Tell did not remember. And when Tell realized whose house it was, and thought again of father's face and the set in his jaw when he had knocked on the door, he suddenly knew exactly why they were here. Father had come to beg. He had come to beg his friend for money, and he had made Tell wait outside so that he would not see his father debase himself. When father emerged, Tell knew that he had failed. Father smiled with his mouth and squeezed Tell's neck as they walked away, but he walked a little slower. He did not say anything, and Tell could not bear to ask for fear that his father's voice would crack when he answered. Of course, as always, there was nothing Tell could do. Then they turned the corner of the mostly deserted street they lived on, and Tell's father stopped suddenly. Tell looked up, followed father's eyes, and stopped as well. Both of them stood for a long moment. We shut it, Tell said finally. I know we did. Tell's father did not answer. He was looking at the front door of the smithy, which they had both checked and double-checked before leaving, and which was now hanging open on its hinges. Finally, Tell could not stand it any longer. He rushed forward. Father followed him, stopped him, stood between him and the doorway as if there might be someone inside. Tell gripped his hammer. Father, taking a breath, pushed the door open with the toe of one foot. Dust swirled on the stone platform where the anvil had been. Light outlines on the wall showed where the hammers and tongs and hardy tools of nine generations of Tell's fathers had hung on hooks. The great bellows was gone. The small hoard of iron in the corner was gone. Even the coal was gone. Gone. That was when father broke. His expression did not change. He did not cry or rage or snap at Tell for rattling his hammer in its loop. But his shoulders slumped. Tell saw them slump, and although father acted brisk and practical that night as they prepared to sleep on the floor, it was only an act. The slump was there to stay. Father was broken. The next day they left the second terrace of the city. They were no longer craftsmen, no longer twos, no longer allowed to live in that middle terrace above the unskilled laborers and below the warriors and mages. They needed food and work, 
so they descended through the magical gates to the sprawling third terrace of farmhands and sweeps and muckers and miners. Tell tested the gates when they passed through. He descended to the third terrace, turned, squared his shoulders, and tried to walk back through to the second terrace. Of course, the gates stopped him. He'd known they would, known that he was a three now, that the gates would not allow a three onto the second terrace without a gate pass. But the reality of it, feeling the invisible wall of the magical gate physically stop him, broke through the knowing like a blow to the stomach. Why, he thought, I have crossed through these gates many times before. What has changed? Has the loss of my family's tools made me a different person? He cried a little, and his father squeezed his neck, and then some of the anger came back and tell threw himself at the gate that was, to him, a locked door. But he could not cross it. Invisible forces, as always, controlled him. He was helpless, powerless, impotent.